Good morning. I'm Tom Ellis, and this is Willamette Wake Up, the KMUZ local news program. This segment, sponsored by 350 Salem, is entitled Elephant in the Room because our general topic is the global climate crisis, the all-encompassing long-term threat to our common future arising from fossil fuel emissions of carbon dioxide, methane, and other greenhouse gases worldwide. Here in Oregon, our magnificent and iconic forests are essential to our identity as both the foundation of our economy and our principal magnet for tourists. Needless to say, forest policy has also been a political flashpoint since our founding as a state in 1859. The health and vitality of our forests have long been threatened by a voracious timber industry seeking to maximize their profits by clear-cutting native forests and replacing them with monocultural, fast-growing tree plantations. While environmental organizations and wilderness recreation interests have fought back to preserve pristine stands of diverse native forests, both for recreation and for the health of our watersheds, wildlife, and ecological diversity. The climate crisis, of course, has exacerbated these policy issues, largely due to heated debates, no pun intended, over management of threats from droughts, higher temperatures, and unprecedented wildfires. But there is good news as well. Last December, in a landmark decision, the Biden administration directed the Forest Service to revise all of its 128 forest plans to protect all old-growth forests nationwide due to their essential role in carbon sequestration, maintaining biological diversity, and resistance to damage from wildfires. But naturally, the timber industry and the Republicans are pushing back hard. Here to discuss these issues of climate change and forest protection is our guest, Lauren Anderson of Oregon Wild one of our most dedicated and successful statewide conservation groups. Lauren, the Climate Forests Program Manager for Oregon Wild, received a Master of Public Policy from Oregon State University, where her work focused on energy and environmental policy. She previously worked in Washington, D.C. with the National Wildlife Federation, on federal energy, climate, and wildlife policy initiatives, including those related to natural climate solutions. In D.C., Lauren gained experience in policy development, campaign planning, coalition building, and other advocacy tools. Welcome, Lauren, to KMUZ. Thanks so much, Tom. Excited to be here today. Your current job title, Climate Forests Manager, points directly to our topic of discussion today, the manifold ways in which the climate crisis directly affects the questions of forest policy. Can you tell us what some of these challenges are? Absolutely. So when people think about climate solutions, the first thing that typically comes to mind is tools like wind turbines, solar panels, and electric vehicles, all of which are very important. But it isn't typically an old growth tree that pops into your mind at first, but it really should be. So science is really clear when it comes to climate change that 
while reducing emissions, greenhouse gas emissions is critical, it's really not gonna be enough in the long run. We need to pull significant amounts of carbon from the atmosphere and store it for a long time. And it turns out that forests are one of the best solutions at our disposal to do this. So carbon dynamics are complicated and they're different between different species and age classes in forests. But what we know for sure is that the rate of carbon accumulation stays pretty strong over time as trees age. And we know that old forests, so mature and old growth forests, store much, much more carbon than young forests. And older trees and forests can store their accumulated carbon for centuries, which is going to be really important as we sort out this climate crisis mess. And even when these big trees do die, they can hold on to their stored carbon for decades or even centuries as they very slowly decay. So when you're out in a forest hike and you see those giant moss-covered trees lying on the ground, those are actually still helping to fight climate change. It's also really good to keep in mind that there are a ton of co-benefits from these forests. So we're dealing with a climate crisis, but we're also dealing with a biodiversity crisis. So it's absolutely critical that we maintain wildlife habitat and ensure that wildlife is protected on the landscape. These forests also help reduce flood risk. A Forest Service survey of Oregon's Clackamas watershed found that out of 254 mudslides, almost 75% occurred in areas that were logged or roaded. These forests also help preserve drinking water. Another study found that in Oregon, stream flow was 50% lower in 40-year-old plantations relative to 110-year-old forests. So those young, dense plantations act as straws and just suck up all the water from the landscape. And there's a ton of other benefits from these forests, such as cultural use, like canoe building, food gathering, hiking, camping, exploring, mushroom gathering, and not to mention the mental and spiritual well-being we get being out on the trail. The challenges to actually protecting these old forests across the landscape are that, well, one, there's very little old growth left, which is why whenever we talk about protecting old growth forests, we also talk about the need to protect mature forests. So mature forests are basically forests that are just beginning to show the characteristics of an old growth forest. And so preserving them will help us basically protect the next generation of old growth. And the other big challenge is that these forests are much more valuable for timber production. So there's a need to have strong safeguards in place to ensure these trees are protected. So how is your organization, Oregon Wild, addressing these challenges? What are some of the policy proposals from the state and federal government that you are currently supporting or opposing? Yes, so we have quite a bit going on at the moment. Uh, as you mentioned, there was recently a nationwide forest amendment on December 20th, right before the holidays. This is a really, really big deal. They've never done anything like this before. The nationwide amendment aims to basically end commercial logging of old growth forests. And this has, has never been done before. And if the Forest Service does it right, it could be the biggest development in forest policy in the last 25 years since the roadless rule. And it's going to amend all 128 forest plans across the country. Uh, so it, it's basically a coast-to-coast -coast strategy for recovering old-growth forests. So far, the USDA Department of Agriculture has issued a notice of intent, which is basically a preliminary proposal. Uh, the purpose of the current comment period is to shape the full proposal, which is going to be coming out at the end of May of this year. 
So this first comment period is 45 days with the deadline of February 2nd. And the second comment period is going to be a much longer 90-day comment period uh, with a deadline at the end of August. After the close of the second comment period, Department of Agriculture expects to finalize this nationwide amendment in January of 2025. So there is a big question mark hanging over this whole process that will depend on President Biden being reelected. I can well imagine that, that the opposition would be only too happy to take an axe to all of this. Oh, absolutely. And there are numerous other big proposals moving forward right now as well. The Northwest Forest Plan, which covers more than 24 million acres of national forests here in Oregon, Washington, and California, is also being revised right now. And we're hoping that we're going to get better protections for mature and old growth forests out of that process. But again, industry would like to be able to log more. So the devil's in the details of what this will actually look like. There's also a state forest habitat conservation plan and Oregon state lands, which actually have even less mature and old growth forests that is being revised right now as well. And that is focused on protecting threatened and endangered species on our state forest lands. So the hope is that that will also have better protections for older forests as well. Well, that's quite an array of promising developments in state and federal policy for protecting both our mature and old growth forests. I'd like to zero in right now on probably the most controversial question of all about forest management and forest policy, and that is, what are the most effective ways of reducing the danger of rapidly spreading out-of-control wildfires? As you know, wildfire intensity and frequency has greatly increased over the last few decades, largely due to climate change and due to the drying out of our climate and the hotter seasons. So what policies are effective at reducing this danger and which policies are only making the dangers worse? That's a great question. There are definitely no simple answers when it comes to the threat of wildfire, but I think that the main focus needs to be on protecting lives and property. The belief that we can go out and cut down trees across the landscape to actually stop these wildfires isn't really backed by science. It's tempting to think that this is something we can manage our way out of. But like you mentioned earlier, the source of a lot of these really severe and big wildfires is largely due to climate change. And so the best thing we can do is obviously reduce our emissions and keep future impacts from getting worse. We're having these extreme events where you have 80 mile an hour winds on the landscape. It's been extremely hot and dry. And so even if you go out there and you've been the forest, if an event like that comes along, there's really no stopping a wildfire. So the risk of logging in the backcountry, it can actually divert time and money away from projects that really do protect the public. So the place to really focus those investments to prioritize saving lives and property are things like home hardening and then fuels reductions in and around the immediate vicinity of homes and communities to ensure that properties and people are really protected to the best of our ability. Things like emergency preparedness, where we're really focused on making sure that people have early warning systems and they have the resources that they need to ensure that their properties are as protected as possible and know the evacuation routes, all of those things are really effective measures for reducing the risk of wildfire. 
We have heard concerns that protecting old forests might undermine the ability of people to get out there and manage for wildfire, but it's good to keep in mind that older trees often possess features that make them much more resistant to fire than younger trees, such as thicker bark that comes with increasing age and size, and much higher canopies that are high up off the ground and limit the spread of crown fires, which are what sweep through and fully kill a forest. So a study comparing the effects of major fire in Oregon on forests from different ages found that that intensive plantation style forestry, where you have those monoculture plantations that are really tight together and packed in there on the landscape, actually have higher severity fires than natural forests do. So it's a good thing to keep in mind when you hear messaging around the need to just go out and manage the forest and that will solve all the problems. You should absolutely be a little suspicious of simple solutions like that. I've also spoken to some forest experts who make the point that clear-cutting can actually increase the rapidity of wildfires spreading because the wind picks up and carries a lot of the brands across clear-cut areas that quickly spread the fire to new areas that otherwise might not have been touched. Yeah, uh, there are a host of management activities out there that can really undermine the effectiveness of reducing the risk of wildfire. I think it's also good to keep in mind that wildfire is a natural process that needs to take place on the landscape in order for these ecosystems to be healthy in the long term. So it's, it's important to not only think of wildfire as something that needs to be defeated on the landscape, but also a tool that we need to be able to work with on the landscape in order to ensure that these ecosystems are healthy and to reduce the risk of these turning into truly catastrophic wildfires down the road. So managed burning is an important part of the management plan, you would say. Absolutely. The hotter and drier climate is also having a longer term adverse effect on the health and viability of coniferous forests, especially Douglas fir, that historically have depended on conditions of climate and precipitation that are no longer reliable for the future. What policies are you promoting to address these issues of migration of species northward? So we're promoting practices that make forests more resilient to the impacts of things like drought and heat waves, including encouraging managers on private lands to move away from that old school style forestry where it's just a dense monoculture plantation of Douglas fir across the landscape packed in there as tight as it can get. So recently, the Oregon State Legislature passed one of the first natural climate solution bills in the country. So thanks to Senator Dembro and Senator Golden, we actually have a policy in place that's looking at ways to make our landscape more resilient and to store and sequester more carbon. Part of that bill was a $10 million fund to leverage even more funding from federal programs for forest owners, farmers, and other land managers to practice things like climate smart management on their lands to actually increase the amount of carbon storage. This $10 million fund is being split between four state agencies, so Oregon Watershed Enhancement Board, Department of Fish and Wildlife, Department of Agriculture, and the Department of Forestry. And the idea is that these funds are gonna go from those state agencies to the land managers themselves to do practices like longer logging rotations and ensuring that we have the right species, diverse species on the landscape to actually be able to withstand these worsening impacts of climate change. 
As an advocacy organization, Oregon Wild is also deeply involved in public education, which leads me to the next question. How can ordinary citizens who are not involved day by day in these issues as you are, how can all the rest of us out here best promote adaptive and environmentally responsible forest policies and oppose destructive greed-driven policies? both for now and into our uncertain future? Great question. And my answer is to get involved with an organization like Oregon Wild or another environmental nonprofit local to your area who's tackling these issues. So right now, there are multiple public engagement opportunities around these policies. So there's a 45-day comment period for the nationwide amendment. There's also a 45-day comment period for the revision of the Northwest Forest Plan that's going on. Comments are due by February 2nd, so there is a great opportunity to weigh in on these issues going forward. And then there are also a series of listening sessions being held around Oregon on the State Forest Habitat Conservation Plan. And so weighing in on these issues is incredibly important. Having the public voice involved and engaged is the best way for you to have an impact on these issues. And I recognize in day-to-day lives, it's hard to keep track of all of this and figure out like when those opportunities are and how to weigh in and what pieces of these policies you're promoting and want to see advanced, which is why I strongly encourage folks to find that local nonprofit who's tackling these issues and figure out how to get involved with them. And also, I wanted to know if you could tell us perhaps, first of all, what your website is, and secondly, where we might be able to find good talking points for our commentary on these sessions. Because obviously, most of us out here in the public do not have your level of expertise in these forest policy issues. But in order to really have an effect, we would need to be able to quickly make certain arguments and also address certain objections in a an informed way. And I know that's what talking points are good for. So could you lead us a little bit towards some talking points on these? Yeah, absolutely. I would be happy to. So as a resource, our website is great, organwild.org. You can sign up through our website to receive action alerts, which will include resources for commenting on these issues going forward. There are a host of excellent talking points to pull from, and there are also draft letters and draft comments that you can take and then adapt to highlight your priorities and the points that you really want to make during these comment periods. So all of those resources are available to the public, along with clear directions on how to get those comments in and how to engage. So I strongly encourage folks to take a look at that and sign up for alerts going forward. In terms of specific talking points, our bottom line is that we should not be logging old growth forests anymore. (laughs) That should be a practice of the past, and we absolutely need to recover the old growth forests that have been lost due to logging over the past decades. So we are really focused on going forward, ensuring that these forests are recovered across the landscape, and we're really focused on ensuring that we have solutions to match the magnitude of the threats that we face today. So things like climate change and things like the biodiversity crisis require bold solutions. One of the challenges that we face is that definitions often play a 
oversized role in these negotiations, particularly between the Forest Service, the timber industry, and the government. And the one that you mentioned earlier is that a lot of people want to make a distinction between mature forests and old growth, when in fact, as you pointed out, this is more of a continuum than it is a clear-cut distinction between the two. So how would you address somebody who was trying to make that distinction between mature forests, arguing only for a very narrow definition of old growth to fit under the policy? How would you push back against that? Yeah, so there is a little bit of a push and pull when it comes to these definitions. You want them to be inclusive of all old growth and all mature trees, but you also want to ensure that they're clear and simple enough to actually apply in the field. So when people go out onto our federal public lands, they can walk into a grove of trees and say, this is an old growth forest, or this is a mature forest. And being able to say that allows us to hold federal agencies accountable and ensure that when they're doing these logging projects and timber sales, that they are in fact following through on their promises and not cutting down the biggest and oldest trees. So the Northwest Forest Plan, when it was established, did a pretty good job, at least here in Western Oregon, of defining mature forests as typically those that are 80 years and older, and then looking at old growth as a little bit of a higher age class. And so thinking about mature and old growth forests, it is definitely more important to think about it in the context of mature, because that is like the bottom line of the type of forest that we need to conserve in order to adequately protect old growth into the future. So 80 years and older across the landscape as off limits is helpful. Yeah, and of course, they will be the old growth forests of the future. I'd like to thank you, Lauren Anderson, for sharing your expertise and passion with us today on protecting Oregon's magnificent forests as we all face the challenges of a hotter, drier climate. And I wish you the best of luck in all of your advocacy campaigns on behalf of our forests and our planet. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. Thank you for appearing with us. We have been talking with Lauren Anderson, the Climate Forests Manager for Oregon Wild, an environmental organization that over the past 50 years has been one of Oregon's most dedicated and effective advocates for wilderness preservation throughout the state. And this is your host, Tom Ellis, for Elephant in the Room, the monthly program on climate change as part of KMUZ's morning news program, Willamette Wake Up.